Welcome back to Latter-day Conversations here with Mike and Cade. Uh, today we got some more exciting questions, and I'm really excited to see kind of where this leads to. So we'll start it off real quick here with you, Mike. And the question that we have here is, how much scripture should we be reading? Uh, what should our studies look like as true disciples of Jesus Christ? Hi, thanks, uh, Kate, for that introduction and reading the question to me. Uh, yeah, this is a nice question. I feel like it's kind of light discussion. And, uh, you know, this is obviously going to be my opinion. Uh, I don't know if there's a, you know, I don't think there's anywhere in scriptures that says you should read X amount of scriptures every day or uh, however often. Um, and I, I also think it, you know, depends on maybe your circumstance a little, what this answer is going to be. Uh, obviously, you know, Adam, I don't think he really had any scriptures except what God had revealed to him. So how much should he have been reading every day versus us? We've got the most scripture probably out of anyone uh, other than like maybe Mormon and Moroni. <laughs> uh, maybe that's a little debatable. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, it depends on where, where you're coming from. But um, my answer from where I'm at in these modern times is I think it should be at least 30 minutes a day. And if you want to really thrive, it should be an hour every day of scriptures of um, just solid canonical scriptures. No, no supplements, uh, you know, don't go off and open those Institute manuals, even though they're really good and don't go off on someone else's commentary about another commentary or be looking up the Hebrew meanings of words. All that stuff's really, really good. And it really enriches studies and it's very, helpful as supplemental material, but I, uh, I, this is something I've recently concluded, but I think the supplemental material needs to remain as a supplement and not uh, trying to substitute for the meat, the true meal, which is the canonized scripture. So um, I honestly think we should probably be going through the whole canon of scriptures. And for Latter-day Saints, that is the Old and New Testaments, uh, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price, we should be going through that at least once a year, all of it. And um, I know that's kind of a, a hard and fast answer, which may not be, you know, totally applicable. And um, anyway, that's what I would say is my answer to start out. Okay. I like, I like where your head's going. Um, so coming to my mind right now, uh, there's actually a really great talk by Elder McConkie of all people. <laughs> um, but, oh, but yeah. That guy? yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Um, anyway, he, he has a great talk. Um, it was hard for me to find. I think it's published in the Enzyme somewhere as well, if you can't find the audio for it. But it's called The Bible, A Sealed Book. And he kind of discusses uh, certain ways to go, you know, I think 10 different keys on how to gain more insight on scripture and stuff like that. And it's, a, it's actually a really phenomenal talk. I highly recommend it to everyone. Um, but in, in there, he, he says the exact same thing that you're saying right here, Mike, that uh, so often we get so caught up in these doctrinal commentaries by BYU professors or, you know, even people outside of the church. Um, and, and we get so caught up into these interpretations of things that we don't even know what the actual scriptures themselves say, you know? And, mm -hmm. and, and so he goes through 10 different, you know, you know of, of things that can improve your, your studies. And, and I'd highly recommend them. I don't remember all of them off the top of my head, but ultimately one of the main points he does make is the importance of going to the scripture themselves, going to the source itself. Um, and I think that's a great way to start. Um, but, but furthermore, just talking about uh, how much scripture you should be reading, I, I do study a little bit different than I used to. Uh, for years and years, I, I always just read cover to cover, kind of. But for the last maybe year 
and a half or two, maybe even it's wow. I, I think I'm getting old actually. Um, it's, it's been, it's more and more topically, um, driven. So for example, you know, if I, I'm curious about baptism and I want to understand the symbolism behind that, or, or, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in certain things that I'm looking into, whatever the topic might be, is how my, my scripture study has been as of late. Now, now that's not the only way you can study scriptures and, and studying it cover to cover is not the only way either. And there's, I'm sure plenty of other uh, ways to study them. But, but my, my take on how much scriptures we should read um, is that we should read enough to get something out of it. That there should be an end to the, to the means of reading, right? The, the reading scripture shouldn't just be that task where we check off the box. Um, that Yes, oh, I did my come follow me section this week. You know, as great as that is, and I think that's way better than nothing. I, I am not saying that that's a bad thing, but I don't think that it's the best thing. I think the best thing with scripture study is the purpose to, to invite the spirit into your life, to receive personal revelation and to really learn how, learn what you believe. And, and I think as you have certain goals such as the, and you're genuinely seeking, as I would say, to, to have personal spiritual experiences, that, that that should be at least one of the goals or one of the purposes behind your reading, whether or not that, that takes an hour for you or, or 15 minutes or, or however you can fit into your schedule, I, I would suggest that that would be significantly more than one verse a day. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But that that being said, I think having that goal of, of inviting the spirit is, is kind of where I go. And, and you know, if it, I try to read as much as I can, but there are a lot of days throughout the week where I, I'm just not able to read as much as I would like to. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, makes me think maybe my answer, I do need to allow for some tailoring, uh, for different people. Cause yeah, it's the, the real reason, you know, or the real, I guess, uh, you know, end result that we want isn't to just read a certain amount of scriptures, uh, because it is not the end to the means. It's a means to an end, like you were saying, Cade, and we could be reading tons of scripture and be totally apostate and be going to hell, you know, by the way we're living our lives. I think an uh, interesting thing to note is that the Pharisees knew the scriptures better than we will probably ever know them. Um, you know, they had them practically memorized, if not actually memorized. And, uh, you know, that's amazing. They could cite them uh, with their eyes closed. And <laughs> I guess that's not that impressive. You got to memorize. But anyway, um, you know, and they were not righteous. They had totally missed the mark. So I think we could easily get caught up in a certain amount of scripture and say, oh, I'm more righteous because I'm reading three hours a day. I get up at 3 a.m. And, you know, that, that could be a problem. But on the other hand, like you said, Cade, one verse a day is not going to cut it or probably not. You know, you get people that get these little daily devotional books and it's cute and it's got a little message and one verse to go along with it. Or you open your um, gospel library app and it has one verse at the top on the home page. That's not enough. I think you're going to be severely spiritually malnourished if you're only relying on that. But at the same time, you got to go deeper. Why are you reading? Because my wife, uh, she's got a different schedule than me in the morning and uh taking care of the kids it's it's harder i think in her case to fit in the same type of study that i do in a big chunk of time and she does not read as much as me but i feel like she's very spiritually in tune and i'd say in many ways more than more than i am and i look to her as an example but she doesn't read as much as me i read way more um 
And I'm not saying that, you know, she would, her life couldn't be improved by doing that, but I think there's something to it that there's more to it than just, you know, X amount of scriptures. Uh, so I don't know, I guess we're, we're drawing a bit of a balance here. You don't want to say that you're okay with one verse just because it's more about the, the true meaning, what you're getting out of it. But at the same time, it's not all about the amount. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I love, I love the point you started out with too. Um, talking about the Pharisees and Sadducees, how true is that? I mean, they, they really knew the scriptures back and forth, you know, that was their entire life, but, but how much did they really understand the spirit that was within those scriptures, right? Um, that they, they really lived the law, but they kind of lost track of, of the whole purpose of it. Right. And so I, I think that it's a really important thing to learn a lot. That, that's one thing I, I strive to do every time I read is at least to learn something, whether it's something that I need to apply in my life, um, to better myself or help others uh, or whether it's just some cool little thing that, that actually helps me understand God and how he works a little bit better or, or baptism or whatever that topic might be that I'm interested in. Um, and, and I think this might be taking a little bit of a different tangent, but I think one important thing too is as much as the brethren have emphasized reading the book of Mormon, it's really important to read the other standard works as well. They, they really work together in such a, a harmonic way. Um, that I, I can't even really explain with, with the, the words that we're limited to, but they, they work together so incredibly well. And, and I think that the scriptures are set up the way that they are for a reason. They're, they're not organized from A to Z. If you want to learn about baptism, you turn to, you know, chapter three. If you want to learn about uh, the resurrection, you turn to chapter four. That, that's not how they're set up, but, but they're, they're, they're stories of testimonies is, is essentially what they are, right? They're, they're written by, by men of old who were inspired by the spirit. And so to find that same spirit, I think you can go through and you can find whatever your best way to learn is do that. For, for me, I think one of the greatest ways to start at very least starting to read the scriptures is cover to cover learning who the, what the, what's going on, the histories to understand a little bit of everything. And, and I think after that, you're able to truly start connecting things little by little. Um, but those are just a couple of thoughts. Just make sure you don't neglect some of the works of God um, just because they haven't been necessarily emphasized as much. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the side of um, what our studies are going to look like. And you talked about this a little Kate already when saying that now you're, you're kind of doing it topical. Um, but you know, studying can get kind of bland and uh, banal if it's, the same thing every day and you're just reading and, and I, I don't know, how do you spice things up? You know, what, what is your study look like? And if you are feeling bored with it or you're feeling like it's not really fulfilling you, bringing you closer to God, how do you fix that? Uh, one thought I had, and, and I want to ask this to you too, Kate, is okay. that the scriptures, um, you know, in one way, they, they really will become whatever you believe they are. If you believe that the scriptures, when you open them up to a random page, this is God's chance to speak to you and you're listening sincerely and you want him to speak to you. You can hear the word, the voice of God speaking directly to you. And you know, whatever situation you're in um, all of a sudden those scriptures, that verse, that random verse has so much more power and you're going to have a spiritual experience where otherwise, you know, if you just opened it up and you're like, yeah, this is just a words on a page. That's what you're going to see words on a page, you know, to some degree. So um, I think that's one thing to spice it up is maybe to, to treat it like holy writ and to treat it as God's way to speak to you. Um, that's something I kind of want to apply to, but what, what other things do you think can help spice it up and make it more meaningful uh, for you, Cade? 
Yeah, I love that. Um, I, I, I really like that a lot. Um, one one thing that I, I have found has been helpful for me at least is, you know, I, I think we're all human to some degree, and we do get to that point where we don't really treat the scriptures as what they are, <laughs> right, right? Right, right, We're only human to some degree, <laughs> You want to tell me something? You don't? I'm just kidding. Oh, okay, sorry. I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't talk to you about that last time. <laughs> Half celestial being, sorry. Right, yeah. We, we have celestial spirits, right? Right. Um, <laughs> No, but but anyway, um, <laughs> sorry to cut you off. No, I love that. Um, I don't even remember what I was saying. Oh um, man, <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, uh, how to how to spice things up? I I we are only human to some degree, right? <laughs> but, but 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 really, I mean, I I get to that same point all the time where where I'm just like. I'm trying to read and I'm trying to get that spirit and that excitement because the scriptures are, they're, they're incredible. They're real accounts. And, and just like you were saying, if we treat them as what they are, that will bring excitement in of itself. Right. When we realize the the story of, of Nephi and, and, and his brother calling down, you know, being brought up basically in a pillar of fire while, I mean, just these incredible stories, prisons collapsed, mountains moved. I mean, the seas parted. I, I mean, conversions like you wouldn't believe the, the scriptures are filled with just some incredible things i mean accounts of the son of god and his ministry i mean how incredible is that and and sometimes i think it is it's only part of our, our mortal journey that we do sometimes get a little bored with it there, there are days where i will go through and i will have a hard time getting through uh second nephi's isaiah chapters i mean that that's just the honest truth but other days it's a treasure trove like I never have found before. And for me, one of the ways that I am able to um, spice things up, as you would say, uh, is, is I'll try to have my study based on a question of some sort, something that I don't know or that I, I'm curious of, whether it be like I had, had kind of talked about a little bit earlier, whether it be maybe there's something in my life I want to improve on and I'm not quite sure how to proceed or Maybe there's a doctrine that I just am not sure of myself and I'd like to know more about or what, whatever that question might entail. I try to follow that something that might be really interesting for me and applies to me personally. Um, and in doing that, that, that has all, almost always made that scripture study become not just tolerable, not just something that I'm doing to check a box, but something that I've gotten spiritual insight from. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That question idea. It, you know, sometimes it's in our most desperate moments in life when we have the most spiritual and intimate experiences with God, right? And I think it's because it draws us to the desperation of asking these crucial questions and wrestling with God and Scripture. And and it's when we come to God with that attitude and that passion that He responds to us uh, most effectively, I believe. But you know, when when life gets really trite and the same old, same old, and you're you're going you know, to nine to five job, or you got the same schedule every day and you're, you wake up early in the morning and you're tired and you just read just to read. It can get really boring. You know, you don't have a question. You're not really struggling. You're not really, uh, you don't really have a reason to have God speak to you. Well, then how is he going to speak to you? I, I, I guess that's uh, that happens to me sometimes. And so hearing that uh, recommendation, that, that does help a lot. I think, <clears throat> You know, this not to compare scriptures with nature necessarily, but I was thinking how nature can become such a beautiful uh, manifestation of God's creation, right? You can go out on a hike or 
you're walking around and you just look at a, a blade of grass and it's beautiful. You put it under a magnifying glass and you keep studying it and you see these uh, substructures in it and the cell structures and how it looks like a tree or, you know, and how, um, I don't know, you can, you can draw these lessons in these beautiful gospel truths that seem to be imprinted throughout all of existence, even in the creation. And so it's beautiful, even nature, you know, as you walk outside, it's like a scripture. It can be beautiful or it can just be, you know, a boring old sidewalk that you're walking on or boring, boring old grass. And um, I think the scripture can be the same way. You know, what, what are we going to make of it? How close are we going to look? What are we expecting to see? And so all these questions tie in. I'm not really um, adding many answers here, but just, uh, I guess, expressing my, my thoughts about it. But anyway, yeah, thanks for yours, yeah. Kate. I think it was really helpful. Sure. And, and I like that. And I think even on top of that, I'll, I'll say, at least for me, that uh, doing something like this, this podcast has been very beneficial for me too. I mean, there, there have been plenty of times where after the podcast, I'm like, that was a good question. <laughs> I'm going to go study and figure out if what I said tonight is, is doctrinally accurate or, you know, I mean, talk to people about the gospel. That, that, that alone at least gets me thinking, you know, I, I think I've heard it said at least that one of the best ways to learn is to teach. And mm. whether, you, whether you're formally teaching or just having a good gospel discussion, it will benefit you at very least. And at best, it'll benefit everyone that's involved, which is, um, I, I'll stand by that one. Yeah, yeah, right on. I, I agree with you 100%. It's like when we were on missions, this probably happened to you too, but you're in a culture and a society of other missionaries where everyone talks about this. This is the important stuff. And you just naturally will memorize the important stuff and it'll be on your mind and you'll be thinking about it and asking questions about it. This is a dumb example, but when I was a kid, Pokemon was all the, all the rage. And I think it is even now, but um, you know, it was so cool. And everyone had the Pokemon cards and I memorized so many statistics and names and all these details just because it was what everyone was talking about. And we were involved in it actively. Well, if you <laughs> make a, you know, that same, uh, environment, but with the gospel instead of Pokemon, you're going to be like just <laughs> as you know um, studied on it, and you're going to be so active in your thoughts about it. And anyway, that's a really dumb example. Sorry to even bring it so, up. So, so in, in, in summation, the Pokemon and the gospel are the exact same thing. <laughs> yes, that's the, that's the logical conclusion. From what I said. No, no, no. I I like your point, and and, and that's it, it's such a true thing. The, the gospel is exciting and, and it is cool. And, and sometimes it is easy to lose track of the excitement that you have, you know, to lose that spark per se in, in studying through scriptures. Um, but find a way that works for you. Find a, a topic or, or reading cover to cover or, or some way in between or outside the box altogether. But, but find, find something, ask questions, um, talk with people about it. I, I remember on my mission, actually, one of the first lessons I ever taught that uh, we we went to this Hispanic guy and uh, he pulls out his Old Testament. He, he Genuine guy, like genuinely curious, but he pulls out some verse in Leviticus or something. And he's, he's just like, here it says that God loves the smell of blood. And and that's all I really understood of the scripture. I mean, I'd been out for a couple of weeks in the field and not even a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of days. And, uh, and he's like, I don't want to worship a God that, that loves the smell of blood. And I was like, what do I say to that? You know, and, <laughs> but, but, but that's the cool thing is, is if you read the scriptures and you have questions while you're reading it, answer those questions. Um, if you don't have questions beforehand, I mean, there, there's so much to learn. Uh, the gospel, as simple as it is, you can learn it in, in 
30 seconds, but you can also take beyond this lifetime to try to figure everything out. So, yeah, I like it. Okay. Well, we've said a lot of stuff on that and I, th- I hope it's helpful to you guys. Um, I like your recommendations too, Kate. I'll, I'll be thinking about that this week to spice up my studies. Um, but let's move on to the next question. I'll ask this one to you, Cade. What did Christ mean by turn the other cheek? And when he said, go with him, Twain, uh, sounds like he's asking us to be pushovers. <laughs> so that's, a, that's one I, I think I did write that one last week, actually, Cade. So yeah, okay. what are your thoughts on this? Ooh, that is a tough one. I don't know if I have anything uh, substantial yet. Maybe after some discussion, we can get somewhere. But um, I think uh, th- this is from the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? Where he talks about turning the cheek and going with him into a Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as I understand, I think what he's trying to get to it isn't that we just kind of let everyone beat on us and, and never <laughs> let us do anything. and Be like a pacifist, of, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, just in conferences last week, they talk about being peaceful, but how that's an active role to be peaceful, essentially. Right. And and, and I think that's one take that we should take. But you have to realize in context, right, Christ is speaking to some people who for thousands of years have been under this rigid law where if someone hits you in the cheek, you're allowed to hit them in the cheek. If they take your tooth, you can take theirs. If, if they mm. kill your, your donkey, <laughs> you, you, you can kill theirs. Right. And, and, and this is a very, very uh, important part is he, he's speaking to these people who just have lived under this, this strict obedient law that had lost its spirit for, for lack of a better uh, terminology. But, but, when these people are, are going through these hard times, uh, he, I, I know in, in that same sermon, he, he talks about, he, he says essentially, you know, if someone comes out to sue you and, and they take your coat away, give them your, your cloak also is what he says. And, and I think that's the kind of concept he's saying. He, he, he's kind of teaching them to love others to a degree that I don't think may, may not have been taught up to that point for, for a long time and perhaps isn't taught to the full extent that we ought to understand it either. Right. Cause, cause I know, I mean, I I've never been taught that if someone sues me to not just give them what they earned in, in the lawsuit, but to give them something else on top of it. But, but that's a degree of love that, that he teaches. And, and I don't believe that that's him saying, Hey, just, just roll over and, and let people just abuse you. But I think for the gospel's sake, we, we can take some abuse. We can, for his name's sake, you know, um, it, I mean, the, all the scriptures, they, they really teach prominently on, on being better than we, than we really are. Right. Um, all of the parables he teaches, you know, of, of um, the good Samaritan. I mean, who, who is your brother? It, it, it's even those that hate, that they hate you, that, that don't love you, you know, <laughs> take care of those that, that you have significant differences with. And I think that's more of what he's trying to get to rather than saying, Hey, I want you guys just to get beat upside the head all the time. Yeah. Well, I like your thoughts on that a lot because honestly, when I wrote this question, I didn't have an answer. This has just been something that's kind of bothered me and I didn't know how to interpret it because I, I kind of wish he didn't say it. You know, I'm like, Ooh, that's a hard saying, <laughs> but uh, you know what? You enlightened me by giving me a little context here. It reminded me of that context that uh, um, these people were in a different situation than ours. And so, you know, advice given in one context can be misconstrued if taken into another context. And, um, 
you know, if there's this very brutal people, which these were, it, you know, it was not uh, uncommon for, I'm, I'm sure everyone had seen someone die at least one time, you know, everyone had probably, most people had probably participated in a stoning, you know, in this culture, thrown a stone at someone to kill them. I, I don't know uh, it, who all was involved in that, probably not the children and stuff, but, you know, this is a brutal society compared to us that they're coming from. And so Christ is really giving them some, um, some hard nudges that in our case, maybe hard nudges that would put us, you know, in the, in the wrong direction. Uh, I guess, you know, we want to be on the straight and narrow and he's nudging them from one side to the other, but we're, we may be on the other side and he would nudge us off the edge if we took it very hard. Anyway, I'm, you could easily misinterpret what I'm saying here and say that, you know, Christ's words aren't applicable to us. And that's not what I'm saying. I think it's very apt advice and that we should be the bigger person. Um, you know, if someone is going to come out and, uh, you know, uh, do something wrong, Rather than just return that wrong, we can live a higher law, which is what I believe he's suggesting here. But we don't have to take that. And this is my takeaway. We don't have to take this to mean that we have to be pacifists because, um, you know, it's important for us to protect our families, especially as a father. Um, You know, I'm very protective. I would protect my family to the death. And luckily, I don't think I'll ever have to do that in our society that we live in today. We're uh, in a very protected and successful government compared to the rest of the world and the past and history. Um, anyway, so that's what I'm taking from you, Kate. The context changes a lot. And uh, correct me if I said some things, <laughs> interpreting what, your thoughts a little differently. Uh, but uh, that, that did help me to soften it out a bit. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that was very eloquently said. Um, and, and context is an important thing when you're studying scriptures, staying on that topic a little bit, I guess. But um, one thing to be interested in, at very least, is to recognize where who's who's he speaking to what's going on at this time who's you know i mean th- those do make significant differences um but but even just thinking about i, I just really pulled up the the sermon on the mount for those of those who are listening and you're having a hard time finding a good thing to study go study the sermon on the mount go to matthew chapter 5 <laughs> and uh there's some powerful teachings from jesus in in these moments um and and recognize that I, I know your your original question was focused on is you know is he asking us to be this pacifist person? Uh, we we don't have to take this that that one question or that one statement from him and and rec- and think that we can never stand up for our beliefs. Um, throughout, I mean, his whole ministry of which we have recorded probably what thirty something days maybe. Um, there there are multiple occasions where where he stands up boldly and nobly um, to defend the truth. And, and I think that as we recognize that certainly we are grateful for what we have, but there is definitely a lot more that we do not have of, of these accounts, right? Of how many years before his, his ministry that we don't have, let alone within his ministry. I, I, I from what last I remember when I read an article, it said that essentially uh, there's 30 something days of his ministry that we have record of in, in wow. the New Testament, which baff, baffles me. Um, but but going back to the whole topic, I mean, the scriptures are to, uh, they're essentially testimonies. They're not histories uh, by any means. And and that's an important fact as well. But but go through these accounts. The same Jesus who, who goes out and says, hey, uh, turn turn your other cheek. And, and, you know, those who ask from me, don't, don't, don't turn away from them. Right. 
he also goes to Pharisees and Sadducees and, and says, oh, you know, oh, ye blind guides, ye who, you know, uh, strain at a gnat and swallow a camel, you know, uh, he is very blunt and, and makes sure people understand what he believes. Um, and and I, I think that's an important thing to recognize, too, that uh, he did stand up for himself, though it, it, it is an interesting fact that um, so far as I know, he never returned any smite to anyone he never hit anyone back right he, he lived what he taught uh when when he was going through his whole trial he never even spoke back you know and uh, i think we can I, I know that we can definitely learn a lot more from his example and 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 prophets examples as well but um i i think ultimately at least my my, my thoughts on this question are we we have to be a lot better than we are <laughs> I, yeah. genuinely I, I i know like even i i was coming home from uh work today or whatever and, and maybe we'll, we can talk about this some other time for a different question but coming home from work today on the freeway and i was in the middle lane or whatever but on, on the very far left side there's you know a guy uh a homeless guy i guess he's a refugee holding a sign with his wife and some kids right there you know trying to uh, get some donations for their well-being and whatnot and i don't know I, I i think there's a lot more we can do genuinely i mean i'm not saying you need to go and just throw your money at people or whatever but in, in your life with with your spouses with your children with your friends um everyone's going through hard things and and president Eidring talks about this very well uh, that people are going through significantly harder things than you think but to, to recognize that even though you don't know that you can you can be the outstretched hand you know, if, if someone does hit your hit, hit you in the cheek, metaphorically, they're, they're, they're probably going through something beyond just a, a quick spite of anger. There, there's often a lot more behind the surface of people's lives than you recognize. And to, to extend your hand a little bit more, uh, to smile a little bit wider, and, and I don't know, just to do a little bit more than 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 you can, right? To live that golden rule and, and beyond, what, what would you want someone to do for you? Right. If you're going through a hard time and, and you got mad at someone, you smacked them, would you want them to smack you back? Right. Or I don't know. I'll, I'll stop rambling. But but I think ultimately le learn from Christ's example and learn from the other examples we have in scripture. Yeah. Okay. So there's this balance I, I've been drawn in my mind as you've been talking, Cade. And, um, you know, you pointed out that Jesus was very gracious to people and uh, very merciful. And especially to the poor, man, he just would heal them and give everything he could to help them. He was so merciful. And I think, uh, you know, we are going to be judged uh, very much on how we treat the poor. Um, it seems like that's an important factor of becoming an Enoch society is how we treat the poor. Um, you know, it says there were no poor among them. And I think that may be an indicator of what their society was like. Um, and, but on the other hand, he was very harsh in condemning wickedness and standing for truth. In fact, uh, you know, the, the example of him cleansing the temple and braiding the rope and knocking down all the stands, that is an example where he was not a pushover. He was not, you know, doing what we might interpret, misinterpreting the scripture of saying, turning the other cheek. He wasn't going to turn the other cheek and wink at uh, sin, you know, and mockery of his father's sacred house. And um, I think this shows the protector in... Um, his characteristic, you know, of being the protector. It's like a, a man. Uh, if, you know, if someone hit my wife in front of me and I turned to the other cheek, that would be a huge sin and neglect on my part. 
Um, it is my duty to stand up for her and to protect her. And even to the point of violence, you know, not wrongfully. It's like the Nephites, they had their rules, I think, that God had given them of, you know, if you're not the first offender or the second offense, then you're be able, you know, you can defend yourself uh, in war and battle. But um, yeah, I, I think that's a, a little subtle nuance I would put here. Yeah, are you going to say something, Kate? Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know. Just uh, you speaking brings up to mind a, a few a few quick things. Yeah. Um, one thought is somewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does he does say that you know not only should we not be uh, not only should we not kill each other, but we shouldn't even get angry with our brother, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for, furthermore, I, I, I thought of the example of uh, the anti-Nephi Lehi's, right? The, these men, um, women, and children who essentially knelt down and were were more willing to keep their covenant with God to not fight and lose their lives than they were to go out and and protect themselves and protect their oh, families. And, and, and they were pacifists. Wow. Yeah. And whether, whether, whether that's a higher law or not, I, I do believe that in, in a true, like you, you were talking about in, the, in a millennial society, for example, or a Zion society, or even in a pre-mortal society where, you know, the, no sin can be um, in a celestial world. None. I, I think that to some degree you, that, that, that we have to turn our cheek maybe more than we think. And that I, I'm not saying that you have no right to defend your wife or, or anything like that, but but in, in a truly Christ-like way, at least physical harm, I, I, it seems that there's rarely an excuse to, to cause physical harm on another human being. Um, mm. that, that being said, I, I do think that um, we, we do have the right to defend ourselves, right? Um, and, and our children and our families and our, and our liberty and our beliefs. Um, but that doesn't always need to be done with, with violence, right? In, in that millennial day, the, the weapons of war will be turned into prune hooks and, and, uh, and uh, har- other harvesting tools, essentially, right? And um, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know if I, I know enough about this to, to ramble anymore, but uh, I do think that <laughs> I know I need to be better than I am. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. I think my problem is I'm, you know, I'm applying it to the most extreme examples of like defending to death and these situations. But really where this is applicable is like on the road, you know, and in, in traffic, uh, <laughs> if someone cuts you off, that is the time to turn the other cheek. And I can see how that's totally Christ-like, you know, and that's easy. Say yes, turn the cheek in that case. In fact, I would, I would give this suggestion to everyone. Um, make this adjustment in your driving. And I promise you, you, you'll still get to where you need to go. It won't be much slower if at all. And uh, you'll have a much more pleasant time driving. So do this one thing. Um, anytime you see someone starting to get over, or you know, you can almost sense someone's going to try to get into your lane, whether they have the blinker on or not yet. Um, just let them slowly back off and don't even let them know that, you know, just let them in without them even, you know, noticing it. And just let everyone in. Whoever wants to go in front of you, just always let them in. And don't even fight it. In fact, just give it to them. Let it. Let them have it. And I, I've actually, I heard this suggestion from someone and I applied it. And I, I do this 99% of the time. Maybe if I'm having a hard day, you know, or my instinct kicks in and I'm like, no, no, you can't get in. Mm. Um, man, it's just so much more pleasant. And uh, it's a much more peaceful way to drive on the road. You just let it happen. It's, it's inevitable. People are going to need to get in front of you. So uh, anyway, that's how one challenge I'll, I'll give to you. I don't know if we've given him any challenges yet on this uh, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, and I'll tell you what, I don't think that this is an easy doctrine. Like 
the the actual right answer is is not the easiest one you know i mean we we personally all of us have control over over our our anger over our emotions 100% right now you might have some uh, mental disorders but i'm still a firm believer that we are agents to act and not to be acted upon right and um ultimately it's it's not an easy thing i mean whether you're in traffic or or whether you're at home and and heaven knows one one of my things one of my uh thorns in my flesh i guess or that i struggle with is i love to argue not in a a contentious way but i i love i love debating things i do i just it's just how i am and and i and i try so hard not to be contentious but often associated with at least firm discussion uh, is is a little bit of anger. And so, so I, I think all of us have things that we can work on in our lives, you know, with how we treat others with what, whether that be, hopefully, you know, we're not overly physically <laughs> getting into altercations all the time, but um, I don't know. I, I think that we need to be better than we are. And um, it is interesting to think too, that this, this same topic applies to old Testament stories as well, to some degree, right. Where Jehovah is the God of the old Testament. And, uh, you know, commands cities to be destroyed and um, fire to consume other cities and, and whatever. But but um, it, it, it's interesting to go through those and, and recognize why and uh, the reasons that he has behind that. It's almost always mercy, so far as I've read, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important the way you worded that, because we're not saying that, you know, you saw the old Jehovah way, which was wrong. And then we now have Christ, uh, you know, he came as the mortal Messiah and now we have the right way. It's not that um, Jehovah was totally godly in every commandment he ushered. Um, but the context and the situation, you know, I think you see the balance there where there is a lot of violence and, uh, and, you know, even the, the God of war side of uh, him in the old Testament. And so anyway, maybe we can talk about that in another episode too, of like, uh, you know, what is contention? I think we have a question already in our uh, backlog here about anger and violence and uh, what's their place. And so, uh, yeah, I, maybe this is just a little foretaste of that, but we'll we'll have to get into that in an episode because there's a lot to say there. Yeah, that would be really cool. I'd be, I'd be interested in talking about that. And, and speaking of which, just for our listeners, um, feel free to reach out. And if you have any questions or things you'd like us to discuss, uh, feel free to reach out. I, I believe we have a link on our podcast to, to do so yeah you know what maybe it's like uh you know how when people hobos or people in a restaurant they put a tip jar up and they throw a few coins or dollars in it to get it started kind of to uh i don't know invite people to <laughs> to put a drop in maybe i'll have Mark, to start their, their own marketing own. strategy <laughs> yeah i'll have to start making up my own questions like oh jeremy from minnesota asked us mike how do you get your rich and low voice and i'm just gonna <laughs> just flatter ourselves with made up questions anyway yeah so yeah guys ask questions so we don't have to make them up <laughs> oh, i love <laughs> do you grow your hair is that all natural or do you use some sort of thickening agent wow <laughs> yeah, uh, who are pod- these people <laughs> the, the additional part of that joke if you didn't understand is we're on a podcast you don't see us <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah what aftershave do you use right <laughs> anyway awesome oh. Hope you guys don't uh, mind our <laughs> rambles bet, here in between. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, well, I'll, I'll get back to I'll read you the next question and, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll continue here. Um, so the next question we have here is Ether 415 talks about rending the veil of unbelief. 
how do we overcome the issue of unbelief? How do you muster the deep faith that the brother of Jared had? Okay. I just got to start out by saying, you know, it's faith can get uh, pretty tricky. Like, what is it? You know, if you delve into it on one hand, it's so simple. It's like, Oh, it's just belief. But on the other hand, you dig into it and you start reading all these references and you're like, wow, what the heck is it? I don't even know. Um, and then, you know, with, with that being aside, how do you have more faith? You know, when people pray with such faith, I always, when I was a kid, or I don't know where this came from, I imagined them just, you know, furrowing their eyebrows harder, clenching their fists, like, ah, having super faith right now. You know, what does that even look like? I, I don't know how you have more faith. How do you just uh, instantaneously um, summon great faith? Where does that come from? Um, so anyway, yeah, he, Ether 415, it talks about the brother of Jared rending the veil of unbelief, you know, like tearing that veil down. He just had so much belief that he just marched right through the veil and he could see and uh, everything that really was true, but was hidden from us because of unbelief and that veil was exposed to him. And so how do you get there? Um, This is such a deep question for me that I really do want to know more about. And uh, I don't have the answer, but I have thoughts about it. Um, So let me just give a short one um, based on my understanding of faith, which I think faith is when you believe in something you can't see, um, but you believe in it because you have spiritual assurance of it. So it's not just blind belief, which, you know, some agnostics or atheists point, try to label it as um, this is not just believing in something without any evidence. No, that, that'd be stupid to believe in something with no evidence whatsoever. We do have evidence. It's just spiritual evidence. And uh, when you have that evidence, it's, it's faith when you haven't seen it yet. And um, how do you have more of that? I, I guess you, you trust more in that spirit and you gain more of that spiritual assurance. Um, that's my thought so far that I don't know how to get to that great and sufficient amount to rend that veil uh, so that you can have a brother of Jared experience. So I, I don't know. Do you have the answer to that, Kate, or any thoughts about this? Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I have a few thoughts. Um... I'd highly recommend for anyone who would like to learn more about faith, first and foremost, uh, to read Lectures on Faith. Uh, so this is a document that was taught by the prophet. Uh, some believe that it might have been written by Sidney Rigdon, uh, who was in the First Presidency at the time. But regardless, it was taught by the prophet, and it was canonized in Doctrine and Covenants for years until, I believe, the 70s or 80s, actually. Um it might have been the 50s, but anyway, long story short, this is an incredible document um, that was taught in the School of the Prophets by Joseph Smith. And uh, it starts off kind of talking about what faith is, right? That faith is essentially um, the motivating force of all things that we do, uh, every single thing that we do. And he, he essentially says that, you know, um, just like how anyone would never plant something without believing that it, it would produce fruit or or so on and so forth and i think you can apply that to anything in your life right that that every single thing you do is because you believe something will come from that to some degree right and so at at the very basic level of faith that's what he talks about it as being um but 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 faith evolves into more and then he kind of relates faith in multiple times in multiple places as being power right That, that faith is much more than just this belief this passive action or, or action that you put put into um, something that you believe to be true, 
right? And, and I think that's an important factor of faith as well, right? Uh, Alma 32 talks about how faith is, is not just the belief in things that are not seen, but are true as well, right? Um, that true faith has to be based on true principles and true uh, and truth itself. Anyway, going back to kind of how do we develop this kind of faith? How do we get rid of this unbelief that we have? Um, that that's a hard question. It really is. I, I think ultimately, in order to to grow in the principle of faith, to to truly increase our faith, that it, it takes a lot. It's it's not something that I I, I mean, I, I, sure it can happen overnight to some degree, but to to develop the kind of faith that the brother of Jared had, that that takes years. Of, of, of dedication to the Lord, right? I mean, this is a man who, who literally commanded Mount Zeren to move and it moved, right? I mean, the brother of Jared was an incredible man of faith who, who re reached, who had so much faith that the Lord cannot be restrained from his presence. That, 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 that is faith. And I think first and foremost, we have to learn true principles, understand who God is, um, his character, his, his perfections. Um, to, to grow a faith in him, to recognize that he can be trusted. And, and in order to have that kind of faith, you need to have those kind of principles developed, I think. First, um, I, I'll, I can keep rambling for a second, but um, it, it's really interesting that in, in this lectures on faith, I, I highly recommend it. Like genuinely, it's, it, it's very incredible. But in there, like I was saying, he, he equates faith to power that, that he talks about. And I, I can find the quote maybe if I have a second. But uh, he talks about how you can that true faith gets to a point where you say something and it is done, essentially. And and I don't think this is an easy thing. There, there are moments in, in Scripture. Sorry, I got my dog barking at me now. <laughs> oh, it's um, all right. But, but there, there, there are instances even when in Jesus Christ's day, for example, his apostles go out to, to cast out a devil, right? And and Christ rebukes them for not casting out the devil uh, out of this this person. And and they say essentially, you know, Lord, increase our faith. Help, help us to do these things. And he, you know, he says, you know, these things come not but by fasting and, and, and so on and so forth. And and I think we need to realize that the true faith is more of a lifestyle uh, than than just a one single action, right? We can go to Joseph Smith for an example as well, right? This young boy who's, you know, 14 years old um, goes out into the woods and prays and God the Father and Jesus the Son come and visit him. Well, how long has he been building up to that? Is it just this snap spur of the moment kind of thing? He, he went out and said almost, as I would call, a, a lustful type of prayer. I, I don't think so. You know, in his accounts, he talks about how he had been pondering on this for years. And that was the first time where he actually opened his mouth to pray in regards to, to the things, you know, what his salvation. And, and later he, he writes about it, the, which church to join. Right. But, but I think that this faith that, that the brother of Jared had is, is a faith that not everyone has, obviously, <laughs> but, but, but it's it's this incredible thing. And I think first and foremost, you need to base it on, on true and righteous principles. Second, you have to do action towards those, right? True faith isn't just belief. Belief is, in my opinion, faith without the action, which isn't really faith. Um, and so first, start with belief. Start with a desire to believe. Get to belief. 
and then start working forward uh, with those those righteous principles and actions and 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 learn as you go you will you will have spiritual experiences perhaps you won't tomorrow go out and, and command mount zirin to move and, it, and it'll move that, that's not what i'm saying but learn it line upon line principle upon principle uh, there's there's a great talk by elder mcconkey of all people <laughs> again um but it's called Lord Increase Our Faith. I believe it's a BYU speech, but um, great talk. I'd highly recommend anyone to, to go listen to that as well. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to put that. Uh, those two Bruce R. McConkey talks that you've cited and the lectures on faith references in the show notes, because I think those are great resources, uh, both in their own context to, to be studying. Uh, but yeah, well, you brought up some amazing points here, Cade, and got us started in I can already tell that we're not going to have time to discuss everything I want to on this because faith is surely, you know, the most fundamental concept, but also I feel like it is one of the most complex ones. I could talk on this and study on it for my whole lifetime and I feel still not quite understand it. You know, just when I think I've got uh, my finger on it and can define what faith is exactly, I see another scripture or an example or some quote and I'm like, wait a minute. I don't actually understand it as well as I thought I did. Um, but yeah, because uh, there's so much to it, but I think, you know, we can get caught up in that a little bit and get a quite philosophical with it, especially if we get into the lectures on faith, not to diminish their usefulness. I think we should be studying them. Um, but yeah. Um, okay. So I'm still digesting that a bit, but it seems like if we have faith, we have a righteous and, factual based um, belief in something that cannot be seen, but can be um, assured, you know, through spiritual means. And then we act on it. And that's what faith is. And that can produce a hope, um, a hope of resurrection, a hope of whatever, you know, the faith is uh, rooted in. And that hope can lead us maybe to, I don't know, more faith or uh, I don't know. I'm still working this out a bit, but it some thoughts I had, Cade, that maybe you can work off that or this other one is, does faith imply that you you lack knowledge? You have insufficient knowledge? Because when Moroni is talking about the brother of Jared after he rent the veil, he said mm-hmm. that he saw the finger of Jesus. And when he saw it, he fell with fear, for he knew that it was the finger of the Lord. And he had faith no longer, for he knew nothing doubting. So it, it suggests there, if I'm interpreting it right, that faith implies a lack of knowledge but once the knowledge is sufficient you don't need faith because you know it a certain of certainty um and if yeah, that's so true it's... then how does the lectures <laughs> of faith say god works by faith does that imply yeah. god has insufficient knowledge you know it's kind of this weird <laughs> circle of issues interesting <laughs> fact so as far as i understand this topic because I, I actually had the exact same question a while ago and if i remember right i haven't i'll have to re-go through all my faith study material that i have but um Essentially, he talks about how God has faith in himself, in of himself, independent of all other things. Um, now, how that all works, I, I do not claim to know. <laughs> what, what I do know is that God does have knowledge of all things. Uh, even actually, I, I have I found the quote that I was going to read to you from Joseph Smith, but I'll, I'll skip ahead. Part of the quote kind of, I think, addresses this a little bit. But he says that um, in lectures on faith, it says it was by obtaining a knowledge of God that men got the knowledge of all things which pertain to life and godliness. And this knowledge was the effect of faith so that all things which pertain to life and godliness are the effects of faith. Um, and he continues and and he does talk about how how faith essentially um, 
when when speaking of how God formed all things and does all things by faith, he, he does talk about how how that's in himself, um, which, like I said, I don't know if I understand that fully, um, nor do I think that necessarily we, we need to right now. But but I think the important thing that he does go through, and, and, he, and he talks about the importance of, of understanding the characteristics and attributes of God, that, that understanding those allows us to put more faith in God. For example, if, if, if we believe that, that God can lie to us, um, then we can really put a ton of faith into him because we never know if he's what he's saying to us or what he's directing us to do is is a good thing or if he's going to backstab us essentially or if, mm-hmm. he, if he doesn't have all power or and he goes on to, to various different uh, characteristics and attributes that god must possess that you must have faith in in order to put all of your faith in him and to perfect your faith essentially right um but I don't know. I, I I think that there's a lot that goes into it, and I think a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, understanding of of God through revelation, through the scriptures, through the teachings of the prophets, and through personal experience. Um, but but I think sometimes we too might be able to come before God and, and ask Him to to you know, you know, Lord, I believe, but help Thou my unbelief. Right? I think sometimes we just have to recognize that there are some things that we we need help with. And through God, uh, through Christ, we can become perfected. And I believe in that same way, so can our faith. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Did, I, did that answer your question? I know I kind of yeah. rambled. No, no, I, I think so. Because, uh, yeah, with the, with the case with God, I agree with you where um, that makes sense. How, it, well, I'm satisfied by the answer of saying that he has confidence or faith in himself, even though I don't understand it. Um, I'm willing to accept that, you know, especially in light of all of the weirdness with, you know, quantum mechanics and undecidability. And, um, man, if you dig into mathematics and philosophy and science deep enough, you'll find that this uncertainty um, in things that are most fundamental and definitely work out is just so weird when it gets on that level. So I'm I'm totally satisfied to accept that, um, you know, God can, <laughs> even though he has all knowledge, can somehow still have to trust or have faith in his own self for something that, uh, you know, hasn't happened yet, even though he already knows it's going to happen because he knows all of time. I don't know. It's weird. You know, I'm mortal. So <laughs> I'm a mortal being and I, I'm okay accepting that I don't know everything right now. Anyway, but with that, um, yeah, man, there's so much with faith, but I think sometimes I can convolute it a bit or make it too complex by digging into this stuff and you know you kind of got to accept that in the new testament they're using you know a different word for faith that got translated into you know greek and then translated into english and and not all of the instances of faith come from the same word most of them do but um even then you know they they may have been nuanced a bit and in the book of mormon who knows what uh reformed egyptian or you know word they were using in the book of mormon when they wrote it and so anyway, you know, that may yield some subtle differences that can lead us to some small minor discrepancies. Who knows? But I think the basic principles are that this powerful concept or principle exists where we believe in a true thing. And, and the more uh, true our understanding and the more accurate our understanding of God is, the more powerful our faith can be because he, in his most accurate and full sense, is um, the most competent force in the universe. And misunderstanding him will affect that um, um, 
I guess, uh, fullness of competence. Anyway, I feel like I'm getting kind of philosophical with it now. And I know not everyone appreciates that. And my wife usually doesn't like those discussions, but I'm sure you would, Kate. <laughs> when you're talking about it. how you love arguing, I'm like, oh, yeah, we could, we could argue. And, oh, yeah. Uh, have a good time. <laughs> Maybe to excess. <laughs> yeah. But, but no, I, 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 love, I love the thoughts that you're, you're putting across. And, and I think at least one, one little insight that, that kind of comes to mind just um, I mean, surely we could talk about faith for hours, probably, especially oh, yeah. if I had had done a little bit more preparation or whatever. But um, I think one thing that does come to mind is this is in the scriptures, for example, when it talks about people being healed, for example, like Zeezrom, who, who goes and, and approaches uh, the prophet at the time to go and, and be healed. Right. Um, and, and he asks him the question. This is Alma 12 to 14. It's one of those chapters. But um but he goes up to him and, and he's like, you know, I, I need you to help me. I, uh, I'm dying essentially. And, and uh, Alma's response was, well, do, do you believe in Christ? Right. Do you, and that was his question. It wasn't, do you, do you believe, do you have faith in, in that you can be healed? It wasn't that necessarily. It was, do you believe in Christ? And you can see that multiple times in scripture. And I think that's an important part to get to that, that when we talk about faith being the first principle of the gospel, that faith is not just faith independent of anything else. It's not just, oh, you have faith to go plant some seeds in your garden. Yes, you're going to be saved now. No, the, the faith that we talk about and, and that's for salvation and exaltation is a faith centered in Jesus Christ. Um, and, that, and that kind of faith has powers beyond human comprehension. Um, going back to the quote that I, I wanted to read just from Joseph Smith, I found, but he, he says this in, in the lectures on faith. He says, when a man works by faith, he works by mental exertion instead of physical force. And I just thought that that was kind of interesting that faith is something that surely I cannot understand as much as I would like today, but maybe tomorrow I'll know a little bit better than I did yesterday. And um, it's something that we can apply and it's a very real force, like you said, but like you said as well, as even though it's one of the more basic topics and I feel like we talk about it all the time, yet it's one of probably the deepest topics that there is. And that's kind of the case with most of the quote unquote simple topics in the gospel. I mean, faith, repentance, baptism. I mean, everything is, yeah, you can talk about this surface level of it, but the depth and breadth of the gospel and everything is, is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing. I, I think it's, it can be so simple that it applies to someone who has never read a verse of scripture. And the first verse they read has to do with faith and they apply it and have an amazing experience and understand it on a, on a level. But then someone else who's studied scriptures their whole life has several PhDs, uh, you know, and understands so much can delve into it and still not reach the bottom of the fullness of this principle. And, and that's the amazing thing, you know, so it's for everyone on everyone's level and, we can all explore it wherever we're at um, and be benefited greatly. So, yeah, yeah. and there's a lot here. And I, I, you know, don't think we really have the, the answer, but we have a lot of thoughts about that of that, that I think tends toward the answer of how sure. to have this great faith. And uh, I think that'd be something to study in scriptures for people is what's the difference between exceedingly great faith and just great faith or faith in general or belief and uh, notice how Christ does seem to treat belief as a, um, a laudable trait. You know, it's not like, I don't know, maybe in our secular or academic 
understanding, we treat belief as a mere consequence of uncontrollable factors in someone's life. You know, my belief is just the sum product of the things I've been exposed to. Well, that's not the case with Christ. He calls it a virtue. And so someone who is not virtuous may lack the belief, even though they've been exposed to the same principles and factors that someone else has who's more virtuous and does have exceedingly great belief or faith in that thing. Yeah. Yeah, and you actually made some really interesting points uh, talking about the, kind of the varying levels of faith too, you know, and and, and this will be my kind of last say on uh, going back to this question that we have of how we can muster that same deep faith that the brother of Jared had. But there there, are, there certainly are different levels or, or degrees of faith that that we can have, right? And, and I think one of the important principles we can learn and, and at least apply in our lives is, well, Perhaps I don't have the faith today to rent the veil like the brother of Jared did. But there are different ver- levels, I guess I would say, of, of faith that are required to do different things. So if you don't have the faith to rent the veil today to see, to, to do that, which if you do, good on you. You're doing pretty good. <laughs> but, but, but if you don't, maybe you have faith to do something else. Maybe you have enough faith to heal the sick. Maybe you have enough faith to enjoy the gift of prophecy. Maybe you have enough faith to go and actually do your ministering assignment, unlike so many others. <laughs> Maybe you have the faith to, to pick up your scriptures and, and do something a little bit more. And I think is, is there are these different levels, and, and some will have more visible out effects than others. Um, and some are, are greater than others in, in, in the sense of it's, it's uh, shock and awe, as I would say, I guess, or in its level of, of being a miracle or something that's beyond your personal ability to do without that faith, do it. So start with that faith, start with at very least like, like uh, it, it teaches in Alma 32. You know, if, if you don't even have a desire to believe, start with that, start with a desire, start with that desire, plant it and start to help that grow. And as you do little by little, the day will come where it turns into fruit. And once you start harvesting that fruit, you will start seeing things that you would never believe even possible. But that belief has to start somewhere. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you, you bring up that for our, our final point of uh, the analogy of it, that it is like a seed and it grows and can become a plant and a tree and and grow and yield fruit. And so just as that process goes in nature, I think it goes in the spiritual sense with faith. And uh, by the time people are having their faith tested, notice that it had already been built at that point. And, you know, uh, when a miracle happens, the faith has already been manifest. Um, It's not something that just all of a sudden was conjured in that moment. You know, the brother of Jared didn't conjure that faith out of nowhere. It had already been building throughout his whole life until it was strong enough to reach that point, um, that apex of, you know, the spiritual manifestation. So um, I'm glad you brought that up there, Kate. And I think it encourages me seeing it more as a a growth of a tree rather than this, you know, sporadic existence of some um, ambiguous trait that I'm trying to seek. So um, that helps a lot. So Hopefully that was uh, beneficial to you guys. And um, do you have any other thoughts, Cade, before we wrap it up? No, that's about it. Okay. Well, um, as we said before, we'll put those references in the show notes. And also, if anyone does have any questions, we would love to have you um, ask them to us. Or if you just have comments about our show and uh, any recommendations or 
anything you'd like to say. Uh, the references and uh, ways to give us that are in the show notes, and we'll be posting those uh, there below. So hope you guys enjoyed it this week, and we'll be back with you next week for more content. Thanks. <laughs>